Welcome to the Lawful Assembly podcast, a show about the intersection of law, religion, and activism. It is hosted by lawyer and activist Reverend Craig Moosen. It's produced by the Division of Mission and Ministry at DePaul University. Craig, Chicago made news last week when Mayor Lightfoot signed the new Welcoming City Ordinance. Can you tell us what the significance of the changes that City Council and Mayor Lightfoot made to that ordinance? Brian, Chicago has a long history of welcoming immigrants and refugees. One out of five city residents is an immigrant. But despite that, we also have a long history of federal law enforcement interfering in our communities, improperly disrupting our communities, coercing our city governments to choose between providing equal and fair law and services to all residents. You said Chicago had a history of supporting the undocumented and protecting those that federal law impacted. Can you tell us about that? It's an amazing story, Brian. In 1850, Congress enacted the Fugitive Slave Act. Although Illinois was considered a free state, the Southern slave states convinced Congress to enact this bill. A tragic, flawed system, the representatives of the slave states knew if slaves could free to the North, without penalty, slavery would be severely undermined. Anyone could kidnap a black person in the North and take them before a magistrate and obtain an order taking them back to slavery. Local police were required by the law to help the fugitive slave traders. Local magistrates were paid more money if they found the person a slave than if they found them a free person in the informal proceedings under the Fugitive Slave Act. Little or no due process was given to the accused. At the time, Chicago had about 300 free blacks living within a city with a population of about 20,000. Given the Fugitive Slave Act, many free blacks no longer felt safe and started to make plans to leave for Canada. The community was appalled, and many moved the city council to prohibit Chicago police from cooperating with fugitive slave traders. Senator Stephen Douglas returned from Washington, D.C. to argue before the city council that the city could not oppose this federal law. After a great debate, Chicago voted to prohibit the police from cooperating with any aspect of the Fugitive Slave Act. A tremendous accomplishment, Brian. When we jump ahead here, Chicago elected its first African-American mayor, Harold Washington, in 1983. What's the connection? That's where the story starts again. The INS had improperly interfered with an FBI investigation of taxicab fraud. The INS used the information obtained to detain taxicab drivers and deport them. The mayor's own staff had been discriminated by officers of the INS. The mayor, given the racism in the United States, had personally known the tragic consequences of discrimination. He knew the impact of government officials abusing laws against minorities. Thus, he issued Executive Order 85-1 on March 7, 1985. We're almost celebrating the 36th anniversary of this order this week. <laughs> Think of that timing. He prohibited any Chicago agent or agency from cooperating with the INS unless otherwise ordered by law. This, of course, included the police. His action was among the first from many mayors and cities around the country that were trying to restrict the improper actions by this federal immigration agency. For Mayor Washington, a city government protected all its residents. But 
because it was an executive order, subsequent mayors always had to issue executive orders to keep this policy in place. So we've had this welcoming ordinance for a while. Why now? Why does Chicago need these amendments to remain a welcoming city? So we're quite proud of Chicago for this history of protecting all its residents. But the welcoming city ordinance that was initially enacted had a number of carve-outs that permitted the police and other city agencies to cooperate if those carve-out exemptions were met. Now, for purposes of this podcast, I want to focus on one. Chicago police had, for a number of years, compiled a list purportedly of known gang members into a law enforcement database. It might sound like an efficient tool of law enforcement, but this gang database had many significant problems. It lacked any due process regarding who was placed on it, how long did names remain on it, what procedures were available for correcting misidentification. Indeed, many people did not even know if they were on the database. You can imagine, Brian, significant questions arose for many black and brown residents who were placed on this list through discrimination rather than actual membership in a gang. And it led to many innocent persons being included. When the Immigration Customs Enforcement, which we call ICE, approached the police to look at the gang database, some of those innocent persons could then be identified and later detained and deported by the federal government. This new welcoming city ordinance eliminated the carve-out exceptions that had permitted the police to cooperate with ICE prior to the signing of this bill by Mayor Lightfoot. Is it bad to be sort of stepping into the realm of law enforcement and preventing them from doing their job? One has to remember there's a big difference between immigration law and criminal law. Civil law as opposed to criminal. Criminal law brings with it constitutional protections. Civil law lacks many of those constitutional protections. There's also a different focus. City police are hired to serve and protect. It works best when they're able to work with their communities. The findings of the welcoming city ordinance state, quote, that the cooperation of all persons, both documented citizens and those without documentation status, is essential to achieve the city's goal of protecting life and property preventing crime, and resolving problems. If criminals know that police might turn family members over to ICE, then family members might not report crime. We have evidence of this in cities around the country. We'll have some information in the show notes that document how city police are hampered if the community doesn't trust them, especially if they know family members may get detained and deported for reporting a crime. Brian, we have to remember that all law enforcement is coercive. We make some trade-offs because we need some protection. For criminal law, we place constitutional protections on police. Reasonable standards for search and seizure, reasonable standards for arrest, fundamental due process that someone will not feel the coercive arm of the state unless those protections are offered. Immigration is a civil law. It does not bring all of those constitutional protections. There are more flexible standards given to the authorities, such as ICE and the Border Patrol, for search and seizure and for detention. We know from experience when law enforcement has less restrictions, violations occur. Mayor Washington knew that. 
He had experienced that, and he saw what it did to the residents of our city. We know it. The National Immigrant Justice Center, the ACLU, the American Immigration Lawyers Association, all are involved in litigation throughout the nation over abuses of the Border Patrol and ICE. We see it when Fugitive Slave Act magistrates or ICE and Border Patrol officials operate under the law's power, but without full constitutional and statutory protections offered to all of those coming before its authority. Abuses occur. Let me stress that, Brian. We give the Fugitive Slave Magistrates, we give the ICE and Border Patrol officials a mantle of the law's authority, but we don't surround them with the full constitutional and statutory protections offered to those coming in criminal law. The last several years have seen our federal government dismantle much of the due process that immigration law had provided, as reduced as it already was. Lack of access to attorneys, sending detained persons to large private corporate detention centers far from family and legal resources. Much like the Fugitive Slave Act, many of the policies and procedures of the previous administration were designed to deport and detain rather than serve justice. Indeed, Frederick Douglass said that one of the greatest harms of the Fugitive Slave Act was to deaden the moral conscience of the North. Chicago, in some small way, proved him wrong. When we permit ICE and the Border Patrol to use the resources of the city, such as our police department, to detain and deport, we run the risk of harming our moral conscience. The Welcoming City Ordinance, with its new amendments, calls us to prevent the harms of ICE and the Border Patrol inflict on our residents. Moreover, Brian, it sends a message to the community. Do not be afraid to access city services. Do not be afraid to go to the police when crime occurs. Do not be afraid to participate in democracy. Because if you are afraid of any of those actions, Chicago loses. Chicago has a duty to protect both civil and human rights of its residents. When it partners with an agency that is trying to break up its families, deport longtime residents of its neighborhoods without full due process, we are all harmed. What was it? What was it, Craig, that brought about these welcoming amendments? Brian, I think we all should take our hat off and, and tip the Chicago Immigration Working Group. It's been working for more than five years to eliminate those carve-out exceptions. The Chicago's Immigration Working Group is composed of community-based organizations, religious-based organizations, legal organizations, many of which we've talked about, that have brought forth their members, their lobbying, their testimony, their advocacy that worked very hard and successfully to eliminate these carve-outs. They really need to be congratulated on outstanding activism, collaboration, and making sure that Chicago does serve all its residents with equality and justice. You have to remember, Brian, the work is not concluded. There's a new federal administration, but detention and deportation still occur. We celebrate the activism of the Chicago Immigration Working Group, but we have to join them to be vigilant that our city still remains a beacon of hope for all its residents. So if you're interested in any of the things that we just talked about, there's gonna be links in the show notes for this. You can find them on SoundCloud and on the blog. Craig, thank you so much for letting us know about this. Thank you, Brian.
Thank you for listening. This podcast is not intended as legal advice. If you'd like to learn more or check out the reference materials, please look at the show notes at blogs.depaul.edu slash DMM.